Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You're listening to this week's excerpt from the Dear Prudence podcast. To get the full-length members-only version every week, join Slate Plus at slate.com slash prudipod. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudy. Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Mallory Ortberg also known as Dear Prudence. With me in the studio this week is my friend Rohan Guha, who is a writer based just north of Detroit, who tends to his plants in his spare time. Hello, hello, Mallory. Thank you so much for having me here while Um, I am visiting the Bay Area. Thank you so much for, like, overcoming the numerous obstacles that you and I have faced in trying to get this episode recorded. Well, as you point out earlier, that means we just have to deliver that much harder for the re- for your listeners. Friends, we fought today we to fought. get you the advice that you're about to hear. So it was it was like Street Fighter Two. Just know that we have yeah. overcome every obstacle World the universe has yeah. thrown in our way. Yeah. Um. Before we get started, I want to talk for a minute about your recently improved quality of life. How how is life now that you have uh, left Twitter? So it's honestly like passing a really great shit. Already we're off to already a we're off start. to a beautiful start. Just just imagine yourself in the middle of a field, just best bowel movements ever. So last in o- a field, sure, absolutely. So last August, I had a very kind of tough conversation with myself, and I was looking at you know. Twitter's contradictory policies where, you know, they pretend to care about bullying and all that stuff. And then they allow a very powerful man with, you know, the power to bring down entire countries, our entire country with one errant tweet and they keep enabling him. So it's just like, I can't condone this kind of white supremacy, this kind of racism, this kind of irresponsibility. So because they're not going to shift anything, I'm going to make sure that I'm not doing anything to help their bottom line. So I pulled away. I deleted my Twitter account. And it's weird because now I notice that I'm not as angry or overreactive anymore. Mm. And Twitter, known for its many continuous outrage cycles, have a tendency to like pull you into its vortex. I find that you can't get pulled into the vortex if you don't know what's happening. So I'm mostly on Facebook these days, which is, you know, it's people I've already screened, people who, you know, they they understand where I'm coming from. I understand where they're coming from. If we have disagreements, we talk it out like mature adults and frequently we'll text or email as well. It's, go, you know, going back to some of the basics. It's I, I love that, like, Facebook is going back to the it's basics. Like, I live in a basics. cabin. Yeah. You know, the good platform the good with none platform. of the upsetting policies. I mean, if you think about it, they're also pretty no, much empowering some of the same things. But... You can, you won't get besieged by bullies on Twi- on Facebook the way you might on Twitter. We're all 
swimming in some dirty water. Yeah. And uh, I think it's more, it's always interesting yeah. to hear, just, just given how bananas life is these yes. days, uh, to hear from anybody who's like, here's a choice I have recently made that seems to make my life a little bit better. It's quieter. It's you know, like, oh, wow, better and quieter. Yeah, What's better and that? quieter. Yeah. And suddenly, since you're not devoting your time fighting off trolls or explain, over-explaining your points of view to people who are reacting more time to play video games and write things. I mean, both of those things are wonderful and they, I support they them. They are wonderful, yeah. Um, well, with that in mind, with this new, better, quieter version of yourself, um, um, with the many obstacles that you and I have faced today to record these answers, let's give some advice to people and tell them how to better their lives, yeah? That would be awesome, yeah. Fabulous. All right, so our first letter uh, asks how to mention gender discrimination in end-of-year reviews. Dear Prudence, I am a young female employee at a male-dominated company where I've worked for about a year. The company is fairly progressive and open about issues like compensation and promotions. People genuinely give others credit for their work and make an effort to help others move up the ladder. This is the best job I've ever had, but I still have to deal with small yet structural displays of gender discrimination. One colleague in particular critiques me more harshly and accepts fewer of my suggestions than those of my male colleagues. He always verbally recognizes my male colleague, who started about a month before me, but never does so when the advice or suggestion came from me. I spent a lot of time thinking that I must be doing something wrong, or that my ideas weren't as good, until a female intern confessed that he treated her the same way. Now that it's the end of the year, I've been asked to provide feedback on this colleague's performance. What is appropriate feedback to provide, and how do I describe this to my male department head, who doesn't recognize this behavior as unequal? So, by the way, when I got this letter, it was still the end of the year. But you and I have have, have had to go through a couple yeah. of delays. So it's late now. But I got to say, and I, I want to hear from you before I offer my opinion. Yeah. But I think the timing of this is actually great because in the corporate world, this is around the time when performance reviews start. It, they start actually coming to fruition. This is the type of stuff that starts getting discussed. So, yeah, I think it's very important to right. – Consider it. And, and I'm, I'm glad that we got this letter, too, because there has been, as, as you no doubt know, a lot of conversation about, yeah. like, sexual harassment at work. Um, and sometimes I think we don't talk as much about harassment on the basis of sex, uh, but that is not necessarily sexual in nature, um, which is also, like, a waste of time yeah. and, uh, you know, a burden on the person suffering from it. And it's, you know, it, it gets in the way of your being able to do your best work. And it's frustrating um, and it's demoralizing and it gets in the way of your own It's a career. lot of extra labor. Yeah. And, and it's not as um, eye-catching sometimes yeah. as like sexual, overt sexual harassment, but it is still a form of sexual harassment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it, everything that you're describing, you know, you've confirmed it with other female employees. Um, you know that your male peer who has started around the same time as you, it sounds like you've kind of double checked to make sure it's not that he's like doing amazing work and you're doing mediocre work. You appear to be contributing the same number of ideas of similar caliber and he's getting a lot of recognition and you're not like it's a pretty clear cut case. Yeah. Um, and and this is always the tough part because it's like I, I I know this type of company where it's like we are progressive we are open I have a male department head who's made it clear that he doesn't think that this is discrimination and it's just like sometimes those are the hardest people to talk to yeah. about discrimination that you experience because there's this sort of like no 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 we're one of the good ones so we would never do that and and yes of course it's wrong when there's gender discrimination but but the example that you're pointing to well here's why it isn't really gender discrimination and that like gaslighting right that and it's just like that death by a hundred cuts kind of a situation where it's like oh yeah this thing is real but you're not experiencing it yeah 
And that sucks. And I'm really sorry. Yeah. So but that said, uh, I definitely think that this is worth bringing up. Yeah. Um, even if you have not said anything about it, you know, now that the end of your review is over, um, I, I think you absolutely should say something. Do you feel like do you have a sense for is it better to bring up with the department head first? Is it so this is usually how I think of it, you know, because I'm so you brought up like a progressive company. I want to look at what if she what if this reader or I'm sorry, this. Yeah, this reader is dealing with a company where it's not as progressive. You know, it's one of it's like a it's like a mid-level Midwest corporate, you know, just establishment. And they're very much stuck in the 90s when it comes to their policy. So that means they only have one bottom one interest. And that's the bottom line. They want to make sure how can they continue to operate and how can they make profits? So I think when you look at an argument like this. You have to recenter it around the nuts and bolts. And here's my thing. The numbers never lie. So if you're noticing a trend in terms of who's bringing the most value and who's not bringing the most value, it sucks because even in a conversation like this, you got to do your homework and you have to go in with a level of considered confidence. But you can't be too confident because the minute you do that, you're going to alienate whoever you're talking to. So you have to almost, you know appeal to them in a way where you're letting them know this is the value that I'm bringing in. This is the value that I've consistently brought in. Look at all these cases. Um, I've also noticed that there are these other people who in this case are women. They brought in this value. And then there are these other people who are men who've just done this. And then you almost have to play dumb a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it sucks. I think it's so dumb that you have to do it that way. But when I look at a situation like this, I don't think the emotional argument is going to you know, appeal to management as much as a dollars and cents argument will, as much as a data-driven argument will. And I think you 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 don't necessarily call it sexism. You almost have to get them to see that it's sexism. And the minute they agree with you, you've got them boxed in. But you have to lead the water to the um, well or the horse to the well. Sure. Whatever that saying is. Yeah. 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 I, so I have a... I have a couple of thoughts about that. One of which is, um, I think it's it's fair to point out that this is a colleague of yours. This is not somebody who it sounds like has the ability to like um, determine the budget that you get for your projects. This is not somebody in a position of authority over you. So I think you do have a little more freedom to yeah. speak out than you might otherwise. Um, and especially when you talk about there's a female intern that he's treated like this. There are women who work underneath him. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I hate that you have to be thinking like collectively about something when you yeah. should just be able to think, show think up and do your yourself, job. But yeah. I, I do appreciate that you're kind of looking out for this affects me and other women who may have to report to him. And, and I don't yeah. want that to happen. Um, so I, I think, yes, it's good to speak up. Um, I think there's probably no way to not call it sexism but i also think that that's fine yeah. like you can just say uh you know you, you've got a kind of mental record that you can just sort of write down you can just say like hey in the last month i've come up with x ideas and he's shot them all down and yeah. you know male colleague has thought up y ideas and he's accepted 50 percent of them um i have not been getting feedback from my own superiors that this many of my ideas yeah. are bad i've noticed a real habit um it appears to be gendered I encourage, you know, like when you because that does what you said, like that points out the number of incidents and then it says it appears to be gendered. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's it's so frustrating because I can see when you bring up to a department head that it appears to be gendered and you take the argument in that direction, they're going to freak out. And I almost feel like their reaction is going to 
want to be to discount what you're seeing. And that's where the gaslighting kicks in. That's where we're going to start saying, no, sweetie, you're, you're just imagining it or whatever. And it's, and it's like, but you know for a fact you're not. And I think in this case, it might even help saying that if you're looking at how women who are currently working there are getting treated a certain way, maybe look at the ones who don't work there any longer, like great talent that ended up going somewhere else. And I think you need to bring up what co- what caused them to leave? You know, I think there's there are stories there as well. Yeah, I, I think that's probably getting a little bit bigger picture yeah, than this yeah, letter yeah. writer needs to yeah. get into right now. Um, but I would just frame it as um, I think there's a missed opportunity here. Like we are missing out on good ideas and I don't want that for the company. Yeah. Um, you raise the issue and then, you know, because you don't necessarily have to report to this guy, you have a little more freedom to, to bring it up. And then, you know, if the reaction is totally bananas out of control, that might actually help you recalibrate uh, exactly how progressive you think this company is. If yeah. there's a little bit of, whoa, I don't know what you're talking about, and then it kind of, they they become more open to the idea of considering it, like, that might say something about uh, their ability to sort of check themselves. Yeah. Um, but I think, too, in addition to mentioning it um, to your own supervisor, if you feel comfortable, uh, I, I would encourage at least considering coming to this guy and saying, like, hey, you may not have noticed this, but whenever, you know, Rick over here has an idea, uh, the last eight times you've been super enthusiastic um, with me, not so much. What's up? And again, like depending on how often you guys work together, depending on the cor- sort of corporate culture, um, that may be like a really odd type of conversation to yeah. have. You may not want to do it, but it's also, you know, you can say that to him. Um, you don't have to pretend he's not doing it. And I think just one more note, I guess. Something like this, like a when you notice a trend like this happening, and if you do bring if you do bring it up and you find that it's tough to get any movement on it, that's also where you look at the culture of where you're working, and you have to ask yourself that difficult question: Is this the right place for me? Right. And I know that's a tough one. That's much bigger than you know. I think you may need to get with you know with the consideration of this uh, letter. But like I know that when I look at questions of race and culture fit in that regard for myself, um, I find myself you know kind of imposing that framework. Yeah. And if it's not working for me, then I know I have a very difficult choice to make. Right. And I- I'm really glad it sounds like you, you mostly really enjoy this job. Yeah. It doesn't sound like there's lots of colleagues doing this. That's a really great thing. I'll just say one last thing, which is that a male-dominated company is not a fairly progressive company. You know what I no. mean? Like, unless there's some specific reason that mostly men need to work there. Um, like, if it has something to do with issues that predominantly affect men like there's some sort of uh like ideological reason why it's male dominated um again that doesn't mean they're all monsters or that they're all like extreme right wingers but a really progressive company does not accidentally wind up with mostly men especially yeah. mostly men in positions of leadership that happens it's on a deliberate purpose. choice it's a cultural choice yeah. and it's one of those things that kind of um it's its existence depends upon pretending that it's not a thing so it's like, oh, yeah, I guess uh, I guess we do happen to have a lot of male management. I don't know why. We'd love to have more women. If only they would apply. Oh, but they're all hiding, you know, underground. And every time we try to give one a job, they just burrow they down just a rabbit run warren. Away. Yeah. Um, again, not to say that these people are all monsters or that this company is secretly like like a devil's advocate kind of a situation. Was that the movie with Robert De Niro? Or uh, I don't remember. I don't know. Anyways. Um, but, yeah, like it's not an accident that mostly men are working These things never are honest. Yeah. 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 Male domination is never an accident. It's always on purpose. Yeah. Sorry. But good luck. Yeah. And keep us posted. I'd love to hear more uh, about how that conversation or those conversations go if you do end up having them. 
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Uh, the subject of this next one is just tired asexual. Dear Prudence, I've identified for the past eight years as asexual and tepidly pan-romantic. By the way, I just have to say, I love the expression tepidly Tepidly pan-romantic. Like, yeah, I guess I could feel romantic (laughs) about anyone, but uh, I don't really want to. That's just kind of charming. Thank you for introducing me to that phrase. It's a mouthful, and it takes a lot of convincing for some people to even understand what that means. Uh, By the way, friends, uh, listening, uh, pan-romantic means that you feel the potential to be interested in a romantic relationship with somebody of any gender. Um, But asexual, uh, while that can look different for a lot of different people, would generally mean something along the lines of you are not especially interested in, in having sex with that person. So that's pretty much it. Uh, I don't talk about it a lot because it seems weird to form an identity around being not a thing. I'm tired. I'm increasingly frustrated by the fact that so much of our media, our social narratives, our expectations for life, and our conversations revolve around, quote-unquote, falling in love, which more often than not seems like just being single-mindedly sexually attracted to someone, which sometimes evolves into a long-term romantic relationship, in addition to the sexual attraction that remains crucial to our being together. I realize that falling in love is more complicated slash multifaceted than this, but that's the narrative that I encounter a lot. I understand that these desires and tropes apply to a lot of people— and used to be more capable of sympathy and appreciation, but now I'm just over it. I could go the whole rest of my life happily without reading another book, watching another movie, or listening to another friend go on at length about the importance or trials of not having the right person to be sexually involved with. If I hear about one more local drought of dateable men, see one more story where two of the characters fall in love because that is the only form of meaningful, non-family social relationship we can acknowledge, I'm going to, well... I'm going to continue to internalize my impatience and disappointment and be the most irritable person ever. What really is at the root of this, I guess, is how much I value friendship. I value friendship way more than I value romantic or sexual relationships. I would love it if there were even a 5% increase of respect for friendships as an important form of relationship, not just as a transitional phase before upgrading to romantic partnership. How do I regain my ability to appreciate media that shoehorns romantic interludes as stand-ins for all important interpersonal dynamics? How do I regain my patience and empathy for friends who are frustrated by the state of their dating lives and seem to think that if they solve that problem, they'll be happier and more whole as people? I think it's fine to wish for more complex portrayals and expectations of adult relationships, but I don't want to want to never hear about an important part of many people's lives ever again. Woo! Yeah, I could, man, I could feel your irritation coming off the page. You know what? I feel irritated like that about that same stuff, too. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. It's a big part of uh, the stuff we say to it's one another weird, as though, a group. because I'm, I'm seeing like two different um, challenges, not challenges, but two different things she that the writer, the mm-hmm. reader is addressing here. One is the definition of love or romance. And the two is a desire to actually continue to appreciate how other people define it versus how the, you know, how the letter writer defines it. Right. So, well, yeah. 
And I think part of what sounds so frustrating for the writer, which I really understand, is they say, I really value friendship. I value it so much more than romantic relationships. And yet you are also finding yourself sick of your friends, which I have to imagine feels really painful. If you feel like I actually don't even know how to connect to my friends right now because all I can think about is the fact that they wish they were dating. Um, And so I don't even have the thing that normally sustains me. that sounds really frustrating. So I look at the definition of love and I think of I think of it this way too. I think if a lot of the media that, you know, we're trained to consume, it teaches us that love is only that thing where you end up marrying someone or you're dating someone and that's it. That's the only thing that can be love. It rarely tries to educate us or remind us that your friends, you can have friends who you love deeply, you know, and I think that's that's one side of it, too. And then, you know, kind of what you're saying, you know, where this person loves their friends and they're finding kind of attention with what they're talking about. Maybe it's as simple as reminding them they have other interests. They do other things. So what else are they doing? You know? Yeah, I, I think so. There's obviously a lot of different threads in this. Letter. Yeah. And I think the sort of Big picture strategy. I don't want to say solution because, you know, the ultimate problem is how do I live uh, in a society that really emphasizes sexual and romantic love uh, as a person who is not especially interested in sexual and romantic love? Um, That's going to be a lifelong problem. I I, I don't think that there's going to be a huge revolution in the way that we talk and think about these things um, in, in the next year. You know, so that's that's going to be an ongoing issue for you. I, I, I don't want to say don't worry, we can fix this in six weeks. Um, but, you, you know, you talk about at the very beginning of your letter, um, it seems weird to form an identity around being not something. Uh, and then you say you're tired. And I get that because that is a an inherently defensive position. If you have to frame how you see yourself um, and you start with a defense, an explanation, a justification, um, you're, you're starting off in a position of vulnerability um, and of feeling othered. And, and that's really painful. So I think part of the, the way to handle that, as well as like the frustration with narratives, is um, uh, seek out the stuff that you really care for. Like, I would say, like, do a little bit of a media blackout right now. Um, if you want to just not go see movies unless you know ahead of time that romantic and sexual love is not at the forefront of the narrative, do it. Uh, like, you know, go see Thor Ragnarok like eight times. Yeah. There's does anybody kiss in that? There, there's some flirtation. In there's it. some mild flirtation. But I mean, it's but all, it's all it's, about the, it's all humorous. But it's it's all about it's all about Tessa Thompson and how she wields that malt liquor bottle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's about like f- you know both your sort of like family of origin yeah. as well as found family. Um, I think Star Wars: The Last Jedi only has one really quick kiss and is mostly again about like interpersonal relationships and group dynamics. Um, I mean, I even think about Girls Trip, which while there are threads about relationships, the focus is on four four women and. And their friendship. Yeah. Yeah. And so just, uh, yeah, I would really encourage you, uh, like, don't go to see things that you know are going to frustrate and alienate you right now. Um, Be really mindful about what you read. Look for books. Um, And, you know, I would say seek out, like, other asexual people. There may not be a ton who live physically near you, but um, look for communities online and, and, like, ask for recommendations. Be like, what are great books that do not center sexual and romantic love? Um, and 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 figure out, uh, you know, kind of what's your threshold for this is the sort of maximum 
romantic stuff I'm able to handle and I want that or less um, and seek that stuff out. And I would even say if you don't want to, you know, cut your friends out of your life, which it doesn't sound like here, you know, I think it's just finding that balance in your conversations where you give them the space to talk about, you know, the romance stuff, but then find find out, you know, they, you know, they have other interests. Find out what, you know, how you can get deeper into the, their other interests and the other things that define them and let that kind of be the anchor of those conversations. So it's not just this ongoing thing about whoever they're dating necess- exclusively, but there's other stuff mixed into that. Right. And I think, too, it sounds like your friends are maybe going on at length a lot yeah. about their dating lives. And frankly, like, that would be frustrating regardless of your own sexual identity. Yeah. Like, I, I think if you have friends, a lot of friends who are constantly saying, like, oh, I can't find a guy, um, I think it's super okay to say, like, I love you. I hear that this is powerful for you. But I also need to cap the number of times that we talk about how you can't find so someone to What date. else are you doing? Yep. You know, like, d- did you run a five K or do you bake a cake or do you have any recipes? Just yep. some, you know, people have a lot of different interests. And I think even me, like when I'm dating someone, you know, that's the thing I tend to get crazy about where I lose sight of the other things I love to do in my spare time. And then I have a friend who always kinds of, you know, they reorient me and they're like, oh, you, you actually like these other things too. How are any one of those things going? I'll be like, Oh, my God, you're right. Yeah. Those things are going great. And all of those things are allowed. You are allowed to say to yeah. a long-term friend who you love and have, like, like oh a my basis God. of Let's change the topic. Yeah, just, like, you talk about this a lot, and I need to set a limit. Like, not, you're a monster, never talk about this again. Just, like, we need we need to stop We this. need a little bit of, a con- like, conversational variety. Yep. Because it's just, it's one note, and it, it makes things boring. Right. Yeah. So it, it sounds like part of what's the problem is you say, like, oh, I'm so upset. I'm going to. And then you sort of interrupt yourself and say, keep internalizing this. And I think that's the thing, too. You shouldn't feel like you need to internalize it, especially if it's a friend who you've known for a while, because they're friends with you because they want to hear from you. Right. And and again, you kind of talk about uh, your past in ways that suggest you have a hard time explaining this to people. You feel like you are defining yourself as the absence of something, which I don't think is true. Mm. I think you're not saying like, hey, you know, this normal thing other people feel, I don't feel it, which, you know, as you point out, frames you as somehow missing something that other people have, which I don't think is how you see yourself. I don't think that's accurate. Um, You're saying, you know, I am a person whose primary emotional resources are invested in their friendships. That's what I care about. That's what I want out of my life. Um, So when it comes to long-term sexual exclusivity, not really interested. When it comes to the idea of marrying a partner who I'm going to sleep with, not really interested. That's not me. Um, Again, not that you have to say this to all your friends before you say, hey, can we stop talking so much about the guys you're not dating? Um, But I think to frame it in terms of what you are and what you do care about and to remember it is not simply that you lack something that uh, is should be there. It's it's just you, you, you yeah. have different priorities. Yeah, and I think that you should never look at it, oh, all my friends are this way and I'm that way and that, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not the other. Because the minute you start internalizing that you're the other, then you're going to go into every conversation with a defensive posture and that's going to get exhausting. And that's also that may also put you in a position where you're afraid to tell your friends to spice up the conversation and talk about something else where that's t- totally within your limits. Yep. Yeah, so I would just say, you know, Feel free to opt out of those movies and books that are driving you nuts. Absolutely. Like, set a limit. Um, Set limits with your friends gently and lovingly and just say, I need us to talk about something else. 
Um, and then also seek out other asexual friends. Again, that's not going to solve all your problems. It's not just like just go hang out with only asexual people and then your life will be great. But it would be pretty cool, I imagine, um, even if it was not like an in-person friendship, even if it was just sort of like an online uh, like community. If you just had a couple people in your life who you could talk to who were on a sort of similar wavelength of like, yeah, man, I just really tune out when everyone talks about wanting to find a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And even as a footnote, Mallory, to that... Um, I, I would say, you know, like, you know, if you're bored with your friends, you don't want to tune them out, but you want to get them talking about something else, take a class or do, do an activity, you know, just put yourself in a position with your friend where both of you are having to do something. So it's not just a conversation, it's an experience. And then at least that gives you something else different to talk about. So, yeah. Yeah. So good luck. This is the work of a lifetime. I think it will be important for you to internalize this less and externalize it more. Um, And I also now just want to think of like, what are some great books and movies uh, that do sort of emphasize the power of friendship over romantic relationships? We've got two movies that are sort of out right now. Uh, What are some other, I mean, I don't know if you're a Lord of the Rings person, but there's not a ton of romance in those. It's mostly about male friendships. Yeah. Um, so depending on your, uh, you know, particular threshold for male friendships, that's yeah. definitely one. Um, oh, God, yeah, that's a not a lot of stuff is immediately leaping to mind. I mean, even the ones like I'm thinking of right now, um, like Bridesmaids, there is a big like romance is still a big side plot, even if the focus is on female friendship. Right. You know, and I think that anything I'm co- that I'm thinking about that focuses on friendships, there's always a romantic aspect that gets shoehorned in or that's added in almost as an aside. Yeah. And you can't escape it because it's still a large part of the movie. And it is weird, too, when you think about so much media that's aimed at kids uh, under the age of like 12 is all about like the power of friendship. Um, and then it's sort of like once everyone hits 12, it's like. Forget about that. Wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm, don't laugh at me, but uh-huh. I'm, I'm thinking Frozen. I'm thinking Frozen yeah. because so when I saw when I was watching Frozen, I was like so pissed off because I'm like, oh god, it's another damsel in distress thing with the prince. The prince turns out to be the bad guy, and it's about two sisters. Spoilers. You know, um, come on. I'm, it's, it's I'm been joking. Out. I'm it's joking. I'm, I'm giving you a hard time. It's been out. Um, but it's been you know where it turns out it's the bond between two sisters, and it's like yeah, you know, Frozen. It's kind of cheesy, whatever, but. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it was a Disney movie that's not about prince and princess. It's about two sisters. Right. And I freaking loved that concept. And that's the thing that I totally, like, think is what I was kind of getting at, too, with that point earlier of, like, there's a lot of media aimed at kids. It's like, friendship is awesome. Friendship is great. Having friends is super important. And then once you hit, like, junior high, we're like, just kidding about that. JK. All that matters is falling in love. And um, sex. And so there's less of that aimed towards adults. That doesn't mean there's none out there. And if anybody who's listening is like, I know a ton of great books and movies and TV shows that don't focus on those things, uh, let us know. Hit us up. Um, we will recommend them on the next episode of the show. Um, but good luck out there. And now that's just all I'm going to be thinking of for the rest of the day. I like, know. What are books just about friendship? I even saw like this Bollywood movie where a girl kept uh, rebuffing on guys' advances because mm-hmm. she just wanted to be friends with him and he kept falling in love with her. But it turned out he fell in love with someone else and then she gets cancer at the end and it's it's really sad. I, okay. I laughed and cried. That sounds like a, an emotional journey. It was a, it was a uh, it was Does Grey Gardens count? I think Grey Gardens could count. Mother-daughter. Yeah. 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 It's about a mother-daughter relationship. Um, it's tough because, like, again, 
anything I'm thinking of, even with the family connections, there's always a romance. Like romance still fa- factors in right. to the point where it also kind of bleeds into that primary relationship. Right. But in fairness, this person said, even if we could just get a 5% increase in the power of friendship, um, they'd be happy. So Look, I'm going to say girls trip then. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you think... can fast forward through the grapefruit scene. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know. Spoiler alert. Come on, Mallory. Uh, you know what? Actually, I just saw Proud Mary, the new uh, Taraji P. Henson movie. Oh, and the main, uh, like, the driving force of the movie is the relationship that she develops with this kid who she kind of becomes like a surrogate mother yeah. figure towards. Uh, there is a mild, mild subplot about an ex of hers that she ends up having to, spoiler alert, fight um but there's no romance between them now um and there's i don't think even any kissing in the movie so go see proud mary yeah. hi prudence my name is dougie and i'm calling from vancouver for the next couple of months i'm bird sitting for neighbors and they have this large house chocolate knickknacks and souvenirs lots of weird shit and i'm calling to ask your advice regarding one of the things downstairs in the billiards room it's an old-timey tobacco poster with racist depictions of black people it's stapled to the wall what do I do? I'm a white person and I want to hold other white people accountable to fight racism. The poster bothers me. If I had friends over to play pool, I would cover it. I'm just wondering if I should approach them about it or even just take it down. It's one poster. It's blatantly racist. If there were lots of racist things in the house, I probably wouldn't come back. But with the one, I'm confused about what to do. It's not my house. They are paying me. But it's racist. Please help. You know... When I saw the transcript of this and I just saw bird sitting and racist, my first thought was the bird is racist. I just that was my assumption oh. when I was looking at the transcript. I was like, oh, God, <laughs> the question is going to be, how do I deal with a racist bird? Um, so this is actually a little bit easier yeah. because yeah. How, how would you deal with a racist bird? Um, I wouldn't know. With a racist bird or with what he's doing? Yeah, th- this is much easier, I think, yeah. than a racist bird. A racist bird? How are, how, how are we defining a bird as racist? It says racist things that its owners have taught it to oh. say. Um, which would, is the thing, I, you know. I, I would probably get out of there. Yeah. Well, and you know, obviously, like, I am answering this question uh, as yeah. a white person. Um, and uh, that's a different. And this guy is also a white person. So there's yeah. that sort of sense of, uh, you know, how, how do we uh, check in with one another? Yeah. When we do shit like have racist posters in our billiards room, which what a sentence is that? Like my billiards room has a racist poster a racist in it. Tobacco like, poster. What, is that what it was like a tobacco poster? Yeah, like like just a lot. Uh, you know, all the pieces. Yeah, checking off a lot of racist Boxes, check boxes. Like yeah. in one sheet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I I'm gonna go ahead with cover it up while you're house sitting, bird sitting. Sorry. Uh, and talk to them about it. And he, and here, well, I mean, it also depends. Like, how offended are you? And you look at the cost-benefit analysis. If you're getting paid enough where you're just like, you know, I don't need to leave, then yeah, do do what Mallory said. Cover it up and be done with it and just kind of grand bear it. If you can't, if it's not enough money for you to overlook that, I think that's when I would decline it. Yeah, well, it's depending sounds, on how badly you need the money. It, it sounds like they're already house sitting, oh, okay. bird sitting, um, and they're your neighbors. This is not your profession. You know, this is not like uh, what your livelihood depends upon. Um, so if you're in a position where it's done and you can't get out of it because for all this is not an Airbnb where you can leave someone a negative review. I think you have to approach the situation with your version of compassion. What I might do in a situation like this is t- 
like be like talk to the neighbor find out why is that there yeah and i don't even know that compassion needs to be your driving like engine here with a racist poster in a billiards room uh i think clarity uh, and and honesty is just the way to go. Like, absolutely cover it up. Like, you, you know, do not, if you have friends over, do not subject them to yeah. a racist fucking poster. Uh, that's fucked up. Don't do that. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that can sometimes happen, like, among whites when we're around one another is we're so anxious about calling somebody else a racist. That becomes the thing to avoid. Like, it, it's worse to call someone a racist than for someone to do or say something racist yeah. in, like, our logic when we get together. Um, and so there's just this sort of like, well, I can't say that this is racist because what if they think I think they're racist? And it's like, it's racist. It's racist. Yeah. So you like, th- I yeah. think the conversation just needs to be, hey, the racist poster that you have in your billiards room made me really uncomfortable. Why do you have that? Yeah. Like That's, call- that's it. Exactly. And like, that's going to feel uncomfortable. That discomfort does not belong to you. It belongs to them. When I was saying compassionate earlier, I, what I meant to say was don't try not to be confrontational about it. Sure. You know? Yeah. It's going to be tough, but like approaching it from a place of stern decorum. You Absolutely. Know? And I think that's, and that's, that's what I, you know, what I meant where you call it racist. Don't, you know. Right. You're not going to call them and say, like, I think that this, you are I'm leaving. Right. You know, but, and I think because it's because this is your neighbor and you clearly have some kind of a relationship with these people and they're your neighbor. You can't just, you know, walk away or burn that bridge. Right. But, yeah, you say that. Actually, I totally think that you can burn that bridge, but we're not necessarily at bridge burning just yet. Right now, yeah. this is unknown. Um, you say that you want to hold uh, other white people accountable to to fight racism, which is a good aim. And you are now, uh, luckily, the recipient of an opportunity to name racism. Yeah. Um, and you get to do that. So uh, go ahead. Give them a call. Say the racist poster in your billiards room makes me really uncomfortable. Why do you have that? And then just like let them flail. Be prepared for them to deny everything, deny yeah. the fact that they even realized it was racist, or for them to get very, very, very defensive. Yeah, it's a family heirloom. They'll say, they'll say a They're lot of say things. Everything. Yeah. They're going to say everything under the sun, and you yeah. still got to stick to your guns. Yeah, you know, another thing that we enjoy doing when somebody says this is racist is distracting and deflecting. Yeah. Um, because, again, for us, the biggest thing is I can't have the racist label attached to me because I must believe myself a good person. Yeah. And a good person never does or says something racist. Um, as opposed to, I'm a white person in the United States. I benefit from white supremacy all the time. Uh, I have lots of racist attitudes, both conscious and unconscious. Uh, and of course, I am capable of doing and saying things that are racist. That's how it works. Um, so, yeah, just go ahead and say that. Um, th- their response may be any number of things. You're, you know, you do not have to get drawn into an adjudication of, like, you know, if it was a family heirloom or not. That's not what you're saying. Like, all you're saying is made me uncomfortable that you had this racist poster in your basement. I encourage you to take it down. Uh, if you ask me to house it again, I'm not going to do it. Or bird sit. Sorry. Like, sit in yeah. your house somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. part of the calling other white people to account is there have to be some consequences among us, like it, as a group. And it has to, it's got to hurt them in some of this. I mean, not hurt them, but it, it's got to sting in yeah. some way, you know. There has to be a social consequence. There has to be a social consequence. Because part of how white supremacy works, again, like as a group, we make excuses for one another. We look the other way. We ignore things. We cover things up. We make excuses like, yeah, that's racist, but 
you know, here's some totally unrelated good thing about them, so let's not bring it up. Because the two things are never related, and the one thing will never cancel out the other thing. Exactly. And as long as, among other white people, we can do and say and own racist things without any sort of social consequence, we'll keep doing it. Um, so this is actually like a really great entree into entree. I don't know how you say that word. <laughs> entree uh, into the world of holding other white people accountable for our racism, yeah. which is it is a poster. It is your neighbors. It's this strange because you go into a lot of different households and there are there's always some kind of a cultural artifact that the homeowner never realizes has racist roots. Has So, you know, you'll see like Buddha heads, for example. Sure. And you know what the origin of Buddha heads are. I don't. So apparently, you know, when wars were being fought in Southeast Asia or wherever, they would cut off the heads of Buddha statues as a sign of conquest. Yikes. So, I mean, rife with meaning. And now you go to Urban Outfitters and you can just get one as a decorative totem, you know. And I think that, like, it's it's challenging, you know, where it's just you, you go into a household and that's right there next to, like, a freaking cactus or something. And the homeowner has no idea what the origin is. Yes. No, and that's so helpful because kind of like the conversation that we're starting to have right now around sexual assault and sexual harassment, where we've sort of like talked about for a while the real cartoonish villains, the the people that a lot of men can comfortably look at and say, I've never done anything like that. That guy's a monster. And we're starting to get to the stuff that's a lot more common and that's making a lot of us really uncomfortable because there's this sort of sense of, oh, well, if we call that assault, then every woman I know has been assaulted and a lot of the men. Um, And it's one of those painful moments of like, yeah, that's kind of the reality. And so sometimes in moments like this, there's a conversation like that to be had around racism where it's like, well, shoot, if like a, you know, a Buddha head in my white friend's house is racist, then I've got a lot of racist white friends and I might be racist. And it's one of those moments where the answer to that is. Was I, A, ready to even reckon with that truth? And B, now that I am coming to grips with that. Wow. Yeah. Because you look at everything in hindsight and then you look at everything you're in progress and then you have to look at everything you're about to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, <laughs> we've gotten a little far afield from what do we do about this particular poster. But, yes, call it out. Name it. Call it what it is. Um, let them sit with their discomfort. Do not try to make them comfortable again. Um, and then it just in general, it's a good idea for all of us um, to think about this conversation that we are beginning to have about sexual assault that we – uh, have not yet begun to have uh, nationally uh, about racism and white supremacy, but that is in the offing. Like that's that is a reckoning that is that is coming, and and one of the things that we're going to have to prepare for is that um, a lot of us will have to reckon with our own uh, racisms um, that we wanted to think of as excusable or not the real issue. And with that note of optimism, which is like. That's that's a good note to go out on. I think so. These are conversations that need to happen. Yeah. They won't go away. They're, they're difficult conversations. Um, they're only going to get more and more challenging, but I think that's a good thing. I think so, too. Well, yeah. thank you so much thank for, you for coming on the me. air. I appreciate it. It was wonderful, and I would love to have you back sometime. Um, please visit the Bay Area more often. I'm falling in love with the place. So. It's so good. Ah, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Max Jacobs. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash plus to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, you can even alter the sound of your voice. 
Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Looking for more from Slate? Lexicon Valley is a podcast about language, from pet peeves, syntax and etymology to neurolinguistics and the death of languages. Recent episodes have tackled efforts to revive endangered Native American languages, the history and evolution of no and not, and how languages around the world developed similar words for mom and dad. Hosted by linguist, author, and Columbia University professor John McWhorter, Lexicon Valley appears every other Tuesday. To learn more, go to slate.com slash lexiconvalley. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.